Five or Flop, a podcast for the best and worst historical fiction has to offer. I'm your host, Grace. And I'm Erin. And each week we'll be reading a different historical fiction book to see if they're a five or a flop. Our theme for season one is reading around the world, which means two books per continent. We're wrapping our trip around the world up, 50% done, and go into Australia with The Cartographer's Secret by Taya Cooper. Woo! So Grace, what's new with you this week? It is about to be my birthday. Ooh! Yes, I am turning 26. Okay, old. Which is, I know, a notable number in that it means that I am getting kicked off of my parents' health insurance. Sad. But don't worry, I have other insurance lined up, so I'll be fine. Good news, she is employed. Yes, I have a job. I'm a very successful adult. (laughs) So if I'm old, then I'm being really good at it. Um, What are your birthday wishes for the next year of your life? Anything you want to accomplish? Oh my gosh, that's very existential. (laughs) I just hope to continue living a good and happy life Mm -hmm. Um, and of course to read a lot of books and for you know the podcast to be a huge hit and for us to be able to quit our jobs. Frankly it's already a huge hit. The first day we started our TikTok we already got up to 20 followers so that's a big deal. Oh my gosh. If you are named Kathy and you commented on our TikTok just so you know you are our favorite pod listener. We don't know if you even listen. No. You are our favorite. But you did comment about having read Kintu and we did text each other about it. Yes. And Kintu, we have not recorded Kintu yet, so... Kintu's coming up soon. Grace, I have a very exciting birthday gift for you, which I'll be giving to you soon. Spoiler, got it in Japan. Thank you. And as you know, the store already wrapped it for me when I got it, and it's beautiful. So I can't wait for you to open it. You'll have to open it in front of me, and then we're going to have to do the Google Lens Translate to figure out what some of it means. Oh my gosh, can't wait. Well, other than my birthday, what's going on with you, Erin? Well, aside from celebrating your birthday on this upcoming Sunday by making some sort of dip to have as an appetizer. Love dip. I am preparing to go home so it's at the time of recording it's almost the holidays and I will be going up to Boston to stay with my mom for two weeks and bringing my dog and then Santiago's coming to join for a week as well so that's really exciting my mom and I are going to tea at the Boston Public Library I love that which I'm really excited for she set an alarm for midnight to wake up and get us the tickets so I'm really excited also another thing about my mom she was listening to Hamnet Rip Hamnet the first episode of our podcast and texted me to tell me how much she loves fourth way and that made me giggle. Listen, I wouldn't say that Aaron's mom and I are in a feud. <laughs> I would say that we have a difference of opinion. When it comes to fourth rank, as does Jen, one of your roommates famously, who yes. loves dragons. Well, here's the thing. For most books, I am not a book shamer. Like, if you get enjoyment out of it, then I'm happy for you. I wish that I had enjoyment out of Fourth Wing because I read it and I did not like doing it. My manager at work also really enjoyed Fourth Wing. Well, listen, it has like a four or six on Goodreads or something. Like, it has it for a reason. I'm thinking about reading it. We'll see. I have so much on the docket, but guess what I finally got to read? What? So remember how I said I started the new Percy Jackson book? I remember that. That was a lie because the ebook I got from the library would not download onto my laptop. So then I had to join the waiting list for the hardback one, which took a bit. You know the TikTok sound that is like me and the devil? Yeah. The devil is library waiting list. But I finally got it, and I finally finished it. Hooray! And I really liked it, and I texted you this, but I have to share it with the pod too. The best part about it, you know how all the Percy Jackson ones, they're like, the world is literally going to fucking explode. Yeah. No, this one's like, 
I need to get into college. It's so lighthearted and fun. Oh my god, these kids need a break. I loved that book. Felt like a warm hug. I like, loved it. I was a like Percy Jackson kid. Who's like, your godparent? That was my thing. Did we already talk about this? Yeah, you're an Aphrodite. I'm Athena. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Going back to the main like three characters was like it just felt like being wrapped in a warm hug. I like, loved it. It's been marketed as Percy Jackson six. It's really more like a companion novella. It is because. Rick Riordan also has the Trials of Apollo series, which I know you didn't read, but I did, which is set in the same universe, but follows different characters. And I learned that that one's actually, even though it already came out a few years ago, it's set after this one. Yes. So this is kind of like a novella in between type thing. Yeah. And so I'm just happy to like be in the world with the characters. Exactly. the show is going to come out soon. Oh, my God. We're going to have so, viewing parties. I am so excited for the show. If we this ever start a Patreon, shit. we're reading the Percy Jackson series on Patreon. Oh, my gosh. And we'll be like, anyway, so I did some research about the Greek gods who are very real. <laughs> no, I am so excited that you finished it. But I am yeah. so excited for there's two more. Coming. I know. And I just know they're going to be just as fun. It's just fun and lighthearted. And I, I'm glad these kids have a break from saving the world. I know. Let Percy go to college. Yeah, literally. Let him get his education. All right. Should we get into the book for this week? Yes. So as I said, this is The Cartographer's Secret, and we'll start out with the synopsis. Hit me. The Hunter Valley, 1880. Evie Ludgrove loves to chart the landscapes around her home. Hardly surprising since she grew up in the shadow of her father's obsession with the great Australian explorer Dr. Ludwig Leichthardt. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong because it is a German name. So when an advertisement appears in the Bulletin Magazine, Jesus, what is wrong with me? (laughs) So when an advertisement appears in the Bulletin Magazine offering a thousand pound reward for proof of where Leichhardt met his fate, Evie is determined to use her father's papers to unravel the secret. But when Evie sets out to prove her theory, she vanishes without a trace, leaving behind a mystery that haunts her family for 30 years. This is another case of me not reading the synopsis well enough because I didn't know that was all there on the back cover. (laughs) Anyways, continuing. Letitia Rawlings arrives at the family estate in her Ford Model T to inform her great aunt Olivia of a loss in their family. But Letty is also escaping her own problems. Her brother's sudden death, her mother's scheming, and her dissatisfaction with the life planned out for her. So when Letty discovers a beautifully illustrated map that might hold a clue to the fate of her missing aunt, Evie Ludgrove, she sets out to discover the truth. But all is not as it seems, and Letty begins to realize that solving the mystery of her family's past could offer as much peril as redemption. And if you thought that that synopsis was interesting, that is the most interesting part of this book. The synopsis, yeah, it seems like after reading the book, it seems like it's about a different book. Yeah, I mean, that is what the book purports to be about, but it does not provide any of the tension that you would expect of a mystery and it doesn't utilize its two different time periods 1880 and 1910 to dramatic effect which is fascinating because this book actually won the 21 overall mystery romance writers of america daphne du maurier award for excellence in mystery and suspense okay i looked this up too this is your book that you like did the research on but i was curious about what the daphne du maurier award was yeah. because obviously daphne du maurier author of Rebecca, very acclaimed. She is the mouthpiece of the gothic romance genre. Mm -hmm. Fabulous writer. So I was like, what kind of award is this? Like, I'd never heard of it. Like, what is it? And I looked it up. This is a mystery book. This is like a mystery historical blah, blah, blah. And this is 
an award from the Romance Writers of America. Yeah. There's a romantic thread in this book. Barely. Barely. So I was like, one, how is this eligible? Two, I went in deep and I looked up not only the winners for this year, but the nominees. Mm -hmm. And actually, the only other book that was nominated for this award that I had read, I had not read the book, but I had read multiple books by this author. Okay. It was fabulous. And it was in last place. So I don't know if you know, this is way too much information to get into in this podcast. Do you know about the RWA? No. Okay. I, this is one of my hyperfixations. So the RWA was the Romance Associ- like Romance Writers of America. Okay. It's their organization. If you're a big romance writer, you join the RWA. If you're a small romance writer, you join the RWA. And they no longer give out awards. They like severely imploded because their administration was so racist. Oh my God. Yeah. So I think this chapter is like a separate sect of the RWA. Okay. So they still give out the Daphne du Maurier. Okay. But the main chapter, like, people were leaving it by the thousands. Jesus. Yeah. So maybe that could be, like, a bonus episode is me just telling you what happened to the RWA. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. So that's just another, like, thread in this, like, weird little book existing. Speaking of fascinating and weird threads, Taya Cooper, the author, has had an interesting life. Ooh, tell me. I don't know anything about Taya Cooper. Yeah, so for like 35 years or something, she was a teacher, and so she came to writing later in life. Mm. But now she's an Australian author of several best-selling historical fiction books. Good for her. However, her and her husband used to own an alpaca farm, (gasps) and she was the PR person for the Alpaca Association. Okay, I love that. I have personal friends who have an alpaca farm. So I actually love alpaca farms. Okay, so, so Taya Cooper, if you want to come on, not to talk about your books, but to talk about your journey as a PR person for an alpaca association. I would love that, yeah. unironically. So yeah, she's written several best-selling historical fiction books. If you look at the cover, which you can see on our social media page of this book, all of the covers of her other books are kind of the exact same. We talked about this a little bit. Some of the previous books that we have read so far are kind of literary, kind of high cerebral, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This is a bit more popular historical fiction, what I termed the woman walking away covers. The kind of books that like a lot of them are about World War II. This one's not, of course. It's a slightly more popular and then a little bit less of a literary approach to historical fiction, which I think is great to have on the pod. Yeah. Because that's how many people and, read it through that kind of And oftentimes, those books are just light and fun to read. That was yeah. not the case here, but... <laughs> no, I have a lot of books like that that I do love. Mm-hmm. I would not say that The Cartographer's Secret is one of them, unfortunately. Something I just want to add going off of that, I thought this book... And I guess this is kind of going to just naturally lead into our discussion. So maybe we'll hold your thought and we'll give our disclaimer. Yes. That we're just judging the book based solely on the book and not on any real life history that it reflects or any real life figures from the Mm -hmm. book. There are some, which you will tell me about later. And of course, there will be spoilers for the quote unquote mystery that doesn't really exist. There's not many spoilers because there's not much that happens. Anyway, so what I was going to say is the first thought I had reading this book is I didn't think it needed to be historical fiction, except for the fact that she needed an excuse for women to like rebel against their societal norms. Like, have you ever read those books where it's like, yeah, it's set in a historical period, but really for the only reason of like, so women can be like, but I don't want to be forced to get married. I want to have my own life. Yeah. Yeah. It was that. Interesting. Because that is the exact thing 
that we loved Snowflower for not doing. But it worked in Snowflower. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't about women being like, oh, I hate the mores of our society. It was about women living the mores of their society. Exactly. And this one, you don't you don't get a lot of it. No. You, get, you do get, but I don't, I want to live in the country. I don't want to go to the city and marry a rich man. And I'm like, I kind of would if I was in her shoes. Well, like we said, when we read A Land Remembered, <laughs> you and I are shameless city appreciators. Exactly. So I would rather live in Sydney than in any of the other destinations Hunter's that they Valley. Named. Yeah, this this book was just a trip to places. I was going to say, that was my main criticism of the book. Like, hardly anything happens because the bulk of the book is them describing routes between places and then describing the journey between the places. Yeah. They just name a bunch of small towns in this part of Australia and they drive around them. That's it. So let's talk a little bit about the plot. So at the beginning of the book, it's set up as dual perspective between Evie in the 1880s, Letty in the 1910s. Evie is basically her father and her sister have gone into the city to marry her sister off. Whereas Evie's exploring his maps and his notes in his office to try and help him write a book about Lightheart, which was a real life explorer who did mysteriously disappear on an Australian expedition. They didn't know what happened to him. Mm -hmm. So she follows off to try and, you know, find that, find proof of that and goes missing along the way. She's not going to like find his bones or anything. She's like, oh, I'm going to go find this guy who who might know what happened to him. Yeah, who might have relics. Which is again, a convoluted contrivance, but whatever. And then we flash to Letty. Basically her mother sends her to see her aunt Olivia in the countryside Hunter Valley after Letty's brother dies and they never really talk about that again and to sort out like the inheritance of the property yeah so and that was honestly like the first red flag of the book for me like when you're reading a mystery and there's a prologue and in the prologue a character dies my immediate thought because I'm a person who's read books before was oh that is a suspicious death like yeah. someone had him killed so and then they just would, like, never He, he, like, exploded, and I don't know why. It's because he was, like, on a boat near the engine, and he lit a cigarette, and he blew up. Which you didn't understand because this book had very difficult-to-read language. Like, the descriptions were all weird. I was like, oh, no, I guess he must have just died. We never really get a resolution to what happened to Lightheart, which is fine, because in real life, we don't know what happens. Like, this is not a soft mystery. No, and I'm... Fine with her not inventing something about yeah, it. Yeah, I actually prefer that she did it. Yeah, but if you have an unsolved mystery at the center of your book, maybe that's a sign that you should pick something else to put at the center of your book. Yeah, maybe that doesn't need to be the main focus. So it kind of is set up so that Evie's disappearance is set to mirror liked her. However, as we find out at the end, and we're kind of just jumping around with the plot here, Evie's disappearance... I mean, essentially the plot is that Letty shows up at her great aunt's house to deal with her inheritance. The great aunt tells her about her niece who disappeared 30 years ago. And Letty is like, I'll find out what happens to her. And then that's theoretically what happens in the book. And another important note, which we'll come back to, is Letty's mom and Aunt Olivia hate each other. And we'll get into why, because it's the stupidest fucking thing. But they hate each other, and that's important to know. But Evie's death, or excuse me, 
assume death disappearance is set up to mirror like tarts and it's supposed to be oh this next generation of women is now solving the mystery of this person you know except hers how did they not know what happened to her like there was a massive it was so stupid it was so stupid because there was a massive wildfire in the area right when she went missing and they're like we have no idea what happened to her she just vanished she obviously burned she to died death. in the wildfire like it's not it wasn't a mystery. You just had to think for two seconds. No, and also, I will link this back. Okay, a few months ago, I started reading a thriller that I got off of Amazon for free. Amazing. And it very quickly, I learned that it was not a good book, and I didn't want to continue <laughs> okay. reading it. But because I got it for free, I was like, great, I can just abandon it. So then I was like, oh, I'll just skip to the end and see what happens so I don't have to read the whole book. And I skipped the last chapter, and there was no word about the mystery. And I was like, huh. And I went to the chapter before, nothing about the mystery. Chapter before, nothing about the mystery. It was the same in this book. The ending yeah. of the mystery, finding out what happened to Edie, was not the end of the book. So that just shows, like, her literary, like, her construction is just so off. Because the mystery that's theoretically the focus of this book was not centralized. No. And then when you find out, it's this crazy, stupid explanation that, oh, I wonder what happened to this girl who disappeared the same day as a raging wildfire that killed someone else, by the way, that yeah. they all knew. And they didn't know that he disappeared in the wildfire either. They were like, That's like, oh, think for two seconds. Funny, these two people just disappeared and were never seen again the same day as this big fire. Also, it's revealed, like, because they weren't sure where Evie was going to look for the, the maps and stuff. And, of course, they find a secret journal, which is the biggest cop-out to any mystery is finding someone's secret journal that explains everything. Bless her heart, Taya just doesn't know how to set up a mystery. Like, no, it was, it was a cop-out. It was not there. It, it was, was never there. No. And she tries to do this flashing back and forward in time that doesn't set up any tension. You don't, like, the Evie chapters drop off, like, halfway through. I kind of understand why they did, because they drop off when she goes missing. I mean, that's But fair. I would have liked for it to come back at the end and actually, like, show what happened in the wildfire. Yeah, you never go back to Evie, and it didn't, it just didn't ramp up tension. It, in the beginning, it had this every other chapter set up. You would get a chapter of Evie, yeah. a chapter of Letty, a chapter of Evie, and a chapter of Letty. But what that actually did in practice, rather than ratcheting up tension, was prolonging things. Yeah. Like, Olivia and Letty meet in chapter five. Olivia doesn't tell Letty that Evie exists until chapter 15. It was insane. It was such a long break. I and was like, this the book reason wasn't that, even that long, and it was so dragged out no, to get was, to the length. No, I mean, it's a book that's almost all filler. Yeah. Almost all filler. Speaking of filler, let's talk about Nathaniel. Poor little Nathaniel. Nathaniel is like this, I don't know, cowboy or something, cow herder. Very much like... Um, Drover is his Drover, very title. much like Tobias in A Land Remembered. Exactly. Not a king like Tobias was. So Nathaniel is the love interest. And I very much thought we, it was going to be a Hamnet situation where there was just a really weird sex scene thrown in there. No. No, I would have preferred that, honestly. Yeah. I couldn't tell why Nathaniel was important except for her, to make Letty like a love interest and make her like have an opposition to the city life. Yeah, because basically her mom is like, come home and marry a rich man in the city. And Nathaniel exists to present an option for marrying a man and living it's, in the country. It's very much Hallmark Christmas movie where she's engaged to a lawyer who she hates and then goes to a small town and dates a guy wearing a sweater. Yeah. Well, basically it wraps up the story because Nathaniel has one character trait, which is that he wants to own land. Same. Which is fine. It's a nice dream. Go you, Nathaniel. But the dream is so that the ending of the wrap-up of the story is that Olivia can sell the land to him 
but then he and Letty get married so they can both have the land. And that gets around the whole inheritance issue. And it's the stupidest and most predictable thing in the world. It's such a contrivance. I don't know. I don't know what to say about this book because I don't think any of it was not contrivance. Like, I there was no, I would have DNF'd this book so quickly if it wasn't for the plot. There was no depth to it. There was no... Even some of the books we talked about where there's symbolism that doesn't quite work with us, like Fruit of the Drunken Tree, mm. at least it was an attempt at something. Yeah. This I mean, was just nothing. I did not hate the character of Nathaniel for the sole reason that I could tell that she was trying to build up to some kind of romance. It never really got there. If we get an epilogue where they're married. Exactly. Like, they don't... They kiss once, like, two pages from the end, and then you get the epilogue where they're married. But otherwise, like, that's kind of it. But whenever they were together, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe some kind of emotion will happen in the As, book. Like, I was looking ugh. forward to the possibility of romance, but I was not... I was not provided with romance. So I liked him because I thought something would happen with him. But he as didn't soon, have any personality As race. soon as they mentioned, like, halfway through the book that he was looking to buy property, because all of a sudden we're getting these weird Nathaniel POVs as well. As soon as they mentioned he wanted to buy property, I was like, oh, Olivia's going to sell it to him. Yeah. And that was the ending. Yeah. And now let's it's talk. It's like in the Hallmark movie when she leaves her lawyer in the city and comes and, like, dates, like, a Christmas tree farmer. And he's like, oh, no, like, if we don't make a lot of money this year, we're going to have to, shut, like, shut the farm down or whatever. And then they do. And then the town has, like, one really rich man. You're like, okay, well, he's just going to give them money. Yeah. And then he does. It's very obvious. Which sometimes in something fun and enjoyable, like a stupid Christmas movie, it works. Yeah. Here, no. Here's my biggest beef. I think we each have a big beef that we need to address. Here's my biggest beef. The whole, like, hinging around the plot is that Evie was a map maker and she was creating a map she of the is area the, around the She property. is the cartographer in question. Yes, she is the owner of the secret. But she was making this map. When Letty finds it, the map is the key to unlocking the mystery of Evie's disappearance. Of the wildfire that is publicly known. Yeah. None of the information that we get on the map is map information. No. It's not like, oh my gosh, she drew a path to this place. So this is where she went. Which would have made sense. she writes someone's name in the corner of the map. And they're like, oh, that guy. So they don't, it doesn't need to be a map. It could just be the journal the whole time. But it can't be because then it needs to come up later to solve the mystery. Yeah, I. And then also there's a plot point, and this will tie into your beef, where Olivia had a secret boyfriend and her, and the mother, Miriam, was secretly pregnant. And Evie on the map drew pictures of them, one with her, one canoodling with her boyfriend and the other one like, hands on her belly in a very obvious I'm pregnant way. And it's like, why are you drawing pictures of people how in enough that? detail to identify who they are like how on big, the map? How big of a piece of paper must this map have been on? No, literally, like, that is just such a, that's not something that people do. And it, it made no sense. And, and it solved the mystery. And it led us into this horrible plot about Olivia and Miriam that was horrible. Which, side note for Olivia, her secret boyfriend was the other one who burned to death, assumedly, in the fire. Yeah, so like, R.I.P. had a hard life. So, Olivia and Miriam. Olivia, queen of petty. Miriam painted to be an ultimate bitch. I don't think she's that bad. I don't think she did anything wrong here. But anyways... Olivia and Miriam have not spoken in years, and then Miriam comes to, like, collect Letty or whatever. And we find out that Olivia has not spoken to Miriam in probably, like, 20-something years. Over 25, because Letty is 25. Because she thought Miriam was fucking her man. Who 
Miriam she was, wasn't. She wasn't. And Olivia could have simply asked her man, asked Miriam. Miriam got pregnant by someone else, by another farmhand. By a character who we don't even who know we don't or meet, meet, which is such a random plot point. Yeah, I don't, it would have made more sense if it had been by Olivia's secret boyfriend, but it wasn't. Or like one of the other male side characters. Grace has anybody, her head in her hands anybody. right Anybody. I just, I don't know. It's I'm like you're gonna let you're gonna let this family feud go on for over two decades because you thought your niece was fucking your man and you don't bring it up to him you don't bring it up to her you just simply cut contact you just assume that that's what happened without next, any evidence next le- and then we're supposed to be sympathetic to Olivia and not Miriam no Olivia was a huge bitch like here's the thing Miriam's just mean like she's just mean you you don't have to want to spend time with her. Fine, whatever. But she didn't do anything. No. And, and then she got her father married her off to some rich guy in Sydney. Yeah, and that probably wasn't fun for her. No. I don't know. It I... made me so angry. This is like none of the characters were good. Like none of the plot went anywhere. It was so boring. We barely even talked about Letty and she's the main character. These characters were so flat. She had no personality. She did wind up deciding to stay on the farm. Which even that she like dithered about that decision for way too long. No, it didn't make any sense. There's also some funny, weird things in this book. Is it, if we have any listeners in Australia, please email us about this. Is it a common saying to say, that's the rub? In like, Australia, is it so common that you say it for everything. They said it probably once every fifteen pages. Because we say like that's an American phrase. Like people say it. I've but never heard of it. Well, we don't say it that much. No, it it's, was just so. They said it like two times, and then I was like, okay. And then they just kept saying, "Well, that's the rub." Is that an Australian saying? Please email us fiberplotpodcast@gmail.com. Exactly. Other brief notes I had have i was really confused because there was a dog in evie's pov and then there was a dog in luddy's pov with the exact same name and there's a good 30 year gap and you're like how old is this dog? i texted grace i'm like this dog is as immortal as keith tiger in a land remembered crazy and the matchmaker in snowflower but no it's then explained that it's a doggy generational name so they had this one dog that was so great that they named every single dog after him and that is what I'm going to do with my dog, Flynn. I don't know if I've really talked about Flynn on the pod yet. She is a mini schnauzer. She's Grace's mortal enemy. Yeah. But she's... Well, kind of iconic, but she's really weird. Yeah, she's like a weird fucking dog. Every dog I have after, it's like when Flynn eventually passes, I'm going to have to be like a little kid, like, you know, when their fish dies and then their parents come in and replace it uh. so they don't know. Y'all are going to have to do that with me for Flynn. Just get a dog that looks the same. Exactly. And I just, actually, my parents replaced my, she said, my mom told me, they were like, we did that once for you. They replaced my fish. They were like, normally we just like want to tell you the harsh realities of life. But my fish died the day they brought my baby brother <gasps> oh, home from the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, we didn't want you to think that your brother killed your fish. So we just bought you a new one. My mom did that for my sister. So when my sister, I was a baby so had no sentience Mm. but my sister was a toddler and she had two fish and she was like mama they're sleeping on top of the water they're taking a nap (laughs) so my mom was my dad was at work so my mom had to bring my sister to the pet store and she goes to the guy and she's like hey our fish are sleeping on the water can you um go in the back and wake them up for us and the guy just comes back with two new fish listen 10 out of 10 for that pet store employee for understanding honestly yeah well i mean Oxley the dog is like fine. Oxley the dog is my favorite character. He didn't do anything, like, but none of the other characters did. So, you know, he got to ride in the car. I'm sure he had fun. I wish we had more to talk about about this book. 
the I don't know. The, I feel like right now we're trying to create filler just like the book was filler. Literally, the the prose was confusing. Like all the descriptions didn't make sense to me. I had to read a lot of stuff like a bunch of times. Like even in that prologue where the brother exploded, I was like, "Wait, what?" I was so confused. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, it was like she was walking down the street and she heard a loud noise, and she's and like, she was I like, knew and then he... a body sailed through the air, and I knew my brother was dead. And it's like, it's it sounded... a weird way to phrase that because if you see your brother's dead body, then you know for a fact that he's dead. But also, why? Like, I feel like I need more explanation for a random explosion in the middle of the day because that doesn't make sense. And it just it. In the book, they talked about her grief, like, being very heavy. They didn't, like... There was no emotional depth to showcase her grief there. Tell, not show. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas, feel, I feel like in other books where grief is very much present, whether we're talking about Fruit of the Drunken Tree when her father's missing, or Snowflower once Snowflower passes. Or Hamnet, the whole thing. Or Hamnet, the entire book. You can feel that. And in this book, it it's just really like, visceral, oh, no, yeah. my brother's dead and I'm sad. I mean, like, I don't have problems with that part, but it was, like... I wouldn't commend it either. There was just a distinct lack of emotion in this book, which I feel like I could almost, you know, suck it up if the mystery was good. But the mystery also was not in this book. Yeah, I just need, I don't need a prescriptive, like, number of emotions to be in the book. I need the book to make me feel something. Exactly. And if she wanted to go the mystery route, if she wanted to go the romance route, like, those are both super, like, I would be super happy with either of those. I would be happy with both, you know, whatever. But, like, we didn't get either of them. I don't know how this won a mystery award when they could have figured out immediately. I don't know how it was eligible for a romance award. No, I I don't understand. I wonder what the categories are like. That confused me. Well, like I said earlier, I read another one of the entrants, and I'll just say, I'll say the quiet part out loud right now. Mimi Matthews, you were robbed. (laughs) (laughs) I will read a work of art by Mimi Matthews, and I will post about it on TikTok and show you it was robbed. Mimi Matthews, um, do you want to come on the pod? Yeah. (laughs) Please air out your grievances for the 2021 Daphne du Maurier Award. Uh, Okay, so before we drag on this any longer, let's get into the historical accuracy and research because I think it was actually really well done in that regard. Okay, good. So let's be positive and stop uh, providing filler for the pod. But now the pod is experiencing what we did when we read this book. But anyways, Ludwig Leichhardt was a real German burn scientist and naturalist. Um, he went missing in Australia on an expedition in 1848. So that all aligns with the book. It inspired the book Voss by Patrick White. Have you heard of that? Apparently it's a very well-known book. No, I think I know Patrick White though. Yeah. So Maybe it, I'll Google the cover and see if the cover looks familiar. Yeah. And it was theorized that he went to live among the aboriginals, but there was nothing ever known for certain. I think the only relic they eventually authenticated in like the 2000s was like a nameplate they found. Oh, I definitely have not heard of this book. Sorry, I was talking out of my ass. It's okay. But in regards to Hunter Valley, so the author actually found a Leichhardt map in a Hunter Valley museum and discovered that early settlers, um, like Evie's father, did financially back his expedition. So like characters, not characters, real people who lived in Hunter Valley did back this financially. So that part of the book with Evie's father wasting a ton of money on him, that was all very sound. Okay. And Andrew Hume, who was the person that his name was written on the map and Evie supposedly went off in search of, was also a real person who claimed- That's crazy. Yeah. He claimed to have like tart relics. So the author said in an interview I was reading, that was kind of the tie-in point that like connected the dots in this book for her, mm-hmm. which, you know, theoretically it could have. Didn't for me. But I was actually impressed with how much of Hunter Valley Hume and Leichhardt are very, very accurate. Well, 
I expected Leichhardt to be a real person when I was reading this. I did not expect Andrew Hume to be a real person. No, I'm like, that was a very minor detail that I was very impressed with. And I thought it had the potential to add a lot to the book. Yeah, I mean, extrapolating off of something that's real. And like we said, like in real life, there is that's a dead end. We don't have the rest of the info on that. So that's something where we talked about in Hamnet how Maggie O'Farrell kind of invented the idea that Hamnet died of the Black Plague. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we're, we were okay with her doing that. I would be, I'm okay with the extrapolation here about Andrew Hume. Yeah, if she had put that more into the novel and made that more of a central point where maybe Evie had met with him, something like that. But Evie get, doesn't even meet with him. No, we didn't get, he was dead during the events of the book. Yeah. So we were not, we didn't get to pursue but that very far. It could have, that could have been the mystery element. But I'm proud of her for knowing that real person. Because I'm yeah. sure that's like a very small it was, and relatively it was unimportant niche, historical yeah. And seeing that map and finding out that the people of the town like actually did fund these expeditions. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. You want to get into our star calculator ratings? Yeah. I think that neither of us are going to go that high with this. So... No. Let's just talk. Okay. So let's head over to our star calculator. So as you know, our star calculator created by fabulous data scientist Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. Ranks on the categories of historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, and care. Grace, you want to get us started? Sure. Historical accuracy. I'll throw her a four. Why the hell not? You know, like there wasn't a ton of history, but what there is seems to be correct. Mm -hmm. So four. Vibes. One, vibes were horrible. Prose, one, I didn't understand what was going on for even <laughs> the most basic of events a lot of the time. Like, it, I'm sorry, like, it was just not there. Uh, originality, two, just because the idea of the book could have been a good one, but it, the execution was not there. And characters, one, there were no characters. There was no, everything was so sketched in. Mm-hmm. The only things that you could see was that, like, Miriam was a bitch, and that was it. So that's a total of 1.8. And on Storygraph, I gave this book a two. So the calculator has worked. Thank you, data scientist Ashley. Yes. And for me, historical accuracy, I gave it a four. I was super impressed with all the stuff she found. However, as I said at the beginning, it felt like it was only set in this time period so that women could be restricted. And also, oh my gosh, I completely forgot to add this. In her author's note, she said she was inspired by female map makers who were Dutch. Yeah. So then she, I think, went looking for an Australian like map something to it was kind of implanted right yeah so that was an interesting note that i was like and i don't think that's inherently bad no but it's like interesting that you were like oh yeah i was inspired by something in this whole other country but i like to write about australia so i was looking for something that i could write about here for vibes one terrible vibes pros one terrible pros originality one hated it characters one could have done without all of them except for maybe the guy who worked at the metal shop He was okay. We didn't even talk about him. He was okay. Fine. (laughs) So that gives me a rating of 1.6. And I'm looking at my story graph and I need to adjust this because for some reason I gave this a 2.75. That seems high. That was very high. And I am about to change that to maybe I'll give it a 1.75 because that feels maybe a little better. Yeah. I mean, we talked for so long. Did we, what redeeming qualities did we list? You know? The dog. I mean, I didn't even like the dog that much. <laughs> well, you're not a dog person, but... No, I'm not. All right, Grace, you want to tell us what we're reading next week? Oh, my gosh. So we're going to be making another trip around the world. So we're going back to where we started, back to Europe. So next week, we'll be reading The Spy by Paulo Coelho. And we have some fun reviews on that one. Oh, yes. You will not want to miss that. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at 5 or flop underscore pod. 
We also have in our bios of all of those social medias a recommendation link that you can fill out a Google form to tell us if we should do any other books on the pod. Suggest us titles, please. You'll also find a link to our Storygraph reading challenge, so make sure to follow along with what we're reading on there. Yes, all of the books from season one will be on there. And if you have any other miscellaneous queries, you can email us at fiberfloppodcast at gmail.com. Slash if you're any of the authors we've discussed, or if you're Taya Cooper and want to come defend your book, please come on. Or talk about the alpacas. I exactly. still love that. More importantly, the alpacas. But anyways, until next time, happy reading. Mm-hmm.